I just... Hi, this is Neil. Neil Parks with Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host. I just had a situation earlier that's... I, I just... I feel I need to air out. I'm just... I'm just going to air it out. Let the audience hear it. And i let you know... Those of you who know me know where I'm coming from. You know who I am, where I've been. And... I'm just going to start off by saying this. Super overly religious people annoy the shit out of me. They don't bring people to Christ. In fact, they drive them away. This is due to an encounter I had a short while ago with a super religious stone-throwing Pharisee of a woman. And of all places, it happened at the freaking Dollar Tree. She didn't verbally attack me at first, but it started out with the typical routine Cracker Jacks rant box ranting about mask mandates, fake viruses, Biden as a child predator, a child molester involved in a, a human trafficking sex cult that operates in a pizza basement at a pizza shop or whatever. And that was all added with this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. When the cashier asked her how her day was going. That was after she said this. She then insulted the poor cashier for having tight yoga pants on and a low-cut shirt showing her cleavage. And slut-shamed her over it. This woman, this older woman knew me from the church that I grew up in. She still attends it. I no longer attend this church. And I will say it is a church of Christ, which each church of Christ seems to think that they are the only ones going to heaven. Although all the churches of Christ come together for conventions and church camps and festivals and whatnot. And they say the church of Christ as a whole, the body of believers, all of them are going to heaven but from the pulpit, the minister often says that they are the only ones going to heaven at just that specific church. So to this day, I'm still flabbergasted by which end is up and what exactly was the reason for the hate speech and the division being spouted from the pulpit. She was ranting about all of this with another older woman in line with her. She noticed me when she looked back and was all like, Oh my gosh, Neil! Barbandary's boy! Yes, my mother's name is Barbara. My father's name is Derry. D-E-R-R-Y. That is my first name. Like Derry, Ireland. Derry, New Hampshire. Uh, Derry, Air. Hi-ho, the Dario farmer in the Dale. You know, you know the, the gist. She noticed me and said that, and she's all like, How have you been, sweetheart? You know the routine fake bullshit song and dance that these zealots spout out. She asked if I was still going to church, where and so on. I told her about us skipping out on face-to-face services in order to avoid this pandemic, that we've been watching church services from television and the comfort of our own home. All of us are vaccinated. My 11-year-old daughter is not yet vaccinated. So I'm not willing to take the risk. I get just as much, if not more, out of watching a televised service and breaking bread with my own family in the comfort of my own home. I get more out of that. 
Once my daughter gets vaccinated, I told her, we will return to physical church services. She said, oh, you coming back to the church I grew up in? I responded quickly, nope. She looked saddened by it and responded with, you need to go where the actual Bible is taught, honey, and really practiced. I said, let me stop you right there before you say something more that will cause me to completely lose my shit and unload on you to the point where you won't know which end is up. You do you and I'll go my way. Continue to talk to people who are unchurched. That's what we're called to do. Better yet, for you, don't talk at all. Don't talk to anyone, like at all. Believe me, the ideas that you have, the stupidity that you spout forth from your lips are causing more harm than good. People like you are the reason, the number one reason why people are leaving the churches in hordes. What you are doing, how you speak, and what you talk about do not nor will it ever reflect the teachings, tolerance, or the empathy of Jesus Christ. I said, you've belittled the churches I attend, my personal relationship with Christ, my witness, you've insulted my life and how I'm raising my children, you've cast stones at me for purchasing Halloween cemetery fencing. You've made comments with these other women about how fat that woman was or how it's just a fake virus or the vaccine has microchips or how you slut-shamed this poor girl here behind the counter because her shirt is too low-cut and she's wearing tight pants. If our faith was based on casting stones and hurting people, you, my friend, would be the pope of your church. That's how I left it with her. She said not a word and just huffed off and walked away from me and left the store. I didn't really get a standing ovation for unloading on her, but a lot of people nodded their head in agreement and said, that's right, amen, that's right, you tell her. I'm not a better person than her. I'm not a better Christian than her. But I do the best I can, and I don't talk shit about other people all the while singing today is the day that the Lord hath made I will rejoice and be glad in it I don't do that I am not a hypocrite I am who I am no matter where I go whether it be a church service or a restaurant or the pharmacy or a friend's house I'm unfiltered I am who I am that way I don't need to make any apologies any sins I've committed I repent for those. Any sins I'm about to commit, Christ knows. And he's already prepared a way for me. So I will do me, you do you. That's all I want to say about that. I just had to air that out. We're all stuck on this planet together. If we could just get along and stop being assholes, that would be great. I'm Neil Parks. This is Paranormally Speaking. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Hello, kids and adults in the listening audience. I'm Neil Parks, award-winning author and paranormal expert. I'd like to wish all of you a very happy Halloween. You are listening to Big Bad Daddy Wolf's Halloween special on 96.6 The Wolf. If you'd like to learn more about me, then you need to get to Google and search at The Neil Parks. Or my 
bookstore website, which is www.lulu.com slash spotlight slash Neil Parks. Thanks. Inside the unsolvable mystery of the Montauk monster that washed ashore in Long Island. In the summer of 2008, locals in the New York hamlet of Montauk were shaken by the discovery of a bloated and bloodless creature they couldn't identify. It was dubbed the Montauk Monster. Then it mysteriously vanished. In July 2008, a strange creature washed ashore on Long Island, New York, lying dead on the beaches of Ditch Plains. This beast, known as the Montauk Monster, was bloated, well beyond dead, looked like a monster out of a storybook, which inspired the public to dub it the Montauk Monster. News about the monster and theories about its origin quickly spread. People speculated that it could be the mutant result of an experiment performed at the nearby Plume Island Animal Disease Center. Others posted that it was an alien entity that had succumbed to earthly elements. Or perhaps it was merely a bizarre marketing scheme. It didn't take long for the director of the International Cryptozoology Museum, Lauren Coleman, who's largely credited with coming up with the name Montauk Monster, to launch an extensive investigation of the creature. As an expert in animals whose existence is disputed, like the Loch Ness Monster, for example, Coleman appeared to be the perfect fit for the job. If only Montauk locals would speak with him. Coleman noted that, strangely, these people put up a brick wall around themselves. What did they know about the Montauk monster, and did it frighten them? Something frightened them into silence? The Montauk monster washed ashore on July 12, 2008. Jenna Hewitt and her friends Rachel Goldberg and Courtney Fruin hit the beach at Ditch Plains. The hot summer Saturday made for ideal conditions to stroll. But as the group of East Hampton natives continued, they came across a heart-stopping sight. It looked like a sun-baked dog carcass with strange bindings around the legs, but it didn't seem like the right size to be a dog. And instead of a snout, the creature seemed to have a beak. It was much larger than the largest of dogs they had ever encountered. Ewitt took a photo of the Dan animal, which then spread like wildfire across the internet. The East Hampton Independent was the first media outlet to cover this bizarre find. Their story, published on July 23rd, was a cheeky headline, The Hound of Bonnockville, which is a play on the nearby area of Bonnockers and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Hound of Baskervilles that made some local waves at that time. But things truly gained steam when Gawker published its Dead Monster Washes Ashore in Montauk blog post on July 29th. The 87-word post was full of snark and heavily suggested that the Montauk monster was a marketing stunt. But the bizarre photo made an impact and the story hit the national stage, appearing in outlets like Fox News and the Huffington Post. Conspiracy theorists around the globe perked up and Coleman, who had a finger on the pulse of this weird animal and other weird animal discoveries, was among those who wanted to know more. But uh, the time Coleman arrived in New York to inspect the creature, its carcass was nowhere to be found. It appeared that somebody had purposefully 
removed it, sending suspicious onlookers into a tailspin. Investigating the Montauk monster yields more questions than answers. Coleman was unable to see the creature with her own eyes. According to one local, the creature had decomposed beyond recognition. Now it's just skull and bones. Before a guy who Hewitt refused to identify took the carcass into the woods near his house. Hewitt has since declined any further interviews. Meanwhile, the three young women who found the monster allegedly seemed to vanish from the media. As well, Coleman was left with few clues to work with. Although the locals who claimed to have seen its decomposed carcass before it vanished, said it was no bigger than a cat. And any conclusions of its origin and identity would now have to be theoretical. As such, some experts have come to view the whole situation as a farce. According to William Wise, director of Stony Brook University's Living Marine Resource Institute, the creature was likely either a coyote or a dog that had been in the sea for a while. He added that the creature was likely not a rodent, sheep, or raccoon. Others insisted that the creature was perhaps a turtle without the shell, which would explain the beak on the end of the face. But Wise disagreed. Turtles don't have teeth, where the Montauk monster certainly did. On the other hand... Rumors have spread that the beast was an escaped mutant from Plume Island's nearby Animal Disease Center. Local cable reporter Nick Layton said he spoke with the three women before they shielded themselves from the media and said their talk on July 31st included coy chatter about the Plume Island narrative and that Goldberg showed him an alternative photo of the creature from an entirely different angle. Nick Layton visited the Plume Island facility two years after the Montauk monster scandal. He reported that security was so tight that it seemed unlikely anything could escape or get in. Layton added that he had to get government approval in order to bring a TV crew along with him and that the crew wasn't allowed to take anything from the facility, including an open bottle of water. Then Layton head on what could be the solution to this bizarre mystery. After some solid theories, the mystery continues to endure, though. During his investigation, Leighton heard rumors of a dead animal that was given a Viking funeral, during which it was burned and sent afloat on the sea in flames. It seemed plausible that the honored creature had washed ashore, ditch plains burned and disfigured. This theory gained credibility when an unidentified local reporter told Drew Grant that they had found a dead raccoon on a nearby shelter island in late June 2008. But the creature photographed is significantly larger than the raccoon, about as big as a chocolate lab, and according to other eyewitness accounts saying that it's not much larger than the cat, it's really hard to tell at this point without the physical body how large this thing really was. But according to these reports, the creature was honored with a Viking funeral, not merely explored for crass entertainment, they said. In the interest of full disclosure, this happened shortly after a waterboarding endurance competition and just before a clothespins on your genitals challenge held among friends. 
ultimately it appeared as though the creature was but some kind of dead or mutilated mammal. Indeed, Discovery officially speculated that it was probably a raccoon, a rather abnormally large raccoon. And there have been theories pouring out of that facility on Plume Island of human experiments, genetic crossbreeding between plants and animals or humans and animals, head transplants between humans and apes, and or studies and research and experiments with telekinetic energy, psychic ability, psychic powers, which gives us the show Stranger Things. The show is based on the Montauk monsters and the experiments that allegedly took place through the years at the Plume facility. Even Coleman concurred with this explanation. In his opinion, the Montauk monster does not belong alongside the ranks of Yeti just yet and agrees that it was probably an overgrown mammal of some sort, whether it be a large dog a large raccoon, or a large cat is anyone's guess. However, the carcass was never examined or tested, and of course, the dead raccoon, quote-unquote, burned on a raft theory remains disputed. Some remain adamant that the creature was something else entirely, considering how large it truly was. Indeed, the isolated uh, tip of Long Island has been home to other alleged paranormal events, such as the Montauk Project, which supposedly launched time travel experiments, as I mentioned, as the Montauk Air Force Base, along with the animal testing facility on Plume Island. When Ellen Killeran wrote about the Montauk monster for The Observer in 2008, an acquaintance told her that Montauk is a place with a lot of secrets. For reporter Drew Grant, there's nothing else to do but accept the fact that the legend of the Montauk monster will live on unsolved. It's going to be one of those mysteries that will forever endure. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. I'll share personal accounts, my research, and second-hand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. Organism 46B. Have you heard of it? The creature designated as Organism 46B was an aquatic beast allegedly captured by a Russian scientific team near the research outpost Vostok Station. Organism 46B is said to be an enormous 33-foot long, 14-tentacle squid-like creature which lives in Lake Vostok, a subglacial lake located under two miles of ice beneath Vostok Station and the Antarctic. The animal has limbs that are animate and aggressive even after amputation. 
uh, could release a toxin into the water to immobilize its prey from a distance of up to 150 feet displays an astonishing degree of shape-shifting, according to reports, and showed a considerable degree of both hostility and intelligence. Vostok Station, established by the Soviets in 1957, was discovered to have been sighted atop a vast body of liquid water beneath the ice in 1974, which was subsequently named Lake Vostok, after the station. After 30 years of ice core drilling, the research team finally breached through the lake on the 5th of February in 2012. This must have occurred sometime between then and the 30th of November 2016, which was when the story first broke, although the exact dates have so far proven impossible to track down. Dr. Anton Padalica claims to have been part of the first scientific expedition to explore the lake. He says we encountered organism 46B on our first day. It disabled our radio, which we later learned to our alarm was intentional. It is also able to paralyze prey from a distance of up to 150 feet by releasing toxic venom into the water. Tragically, my colleagues and lifelong friends, um, one of them was killed in this way. Later, while driving in the lake, the group was attacked, the creature releasing this venom, which took hold of one of them. The organism then proceeded to kill and eat him. As Padakala stated, he, treated, he treaded water, wearing a blissful smile as the organism approached him. We watched helplessly as it used its arms to tear off his head and popped its remains into its mouth. It was as if it had hypnotized him telepathically. Still later, 46B stalked the group, displaying its shape-shifting ability. It allegedly shape-shifted itself into the form of a human diver. We thought it was one of our own colleagues swimming towards us in scuba gear. By the time one of our closest scientists had realized it, it had grabbed him and torn him to bits before he could get away. Escaping the creature, a member of the team managed to lop off one of 46B's tentacles. Although the severed limb attacked the group again, later that night it slid across the ice bank and strangled her, stated Padalica. After finally trapping the creature in a tank, the surviving members of the team brought it to the surface where they claim Russian officials seized the beast and told the international press that it had found nothing. Mothman, gargoyles, demons, and angels. There are many winged cryptids that come into my mind when discussing those four topics. Uh, you've got a bat-like creature that flies around in uh, South Africa. There are winged beasts, winged angels, uh, harbingers of sorrow, gargoyles, demons. Angels have wings. And it's an entire plethora that I'm going to be covering in this week's episode. It's, is it a bird or a plane? An in-depth history of winged beings. I'll call it that. I'll start off with the angel. Uh, it is a supernatural being or spirit, usually in humanoid form. From the Greek word angelos. It's found in various religions and mythologies. The theological study of angels is known as angelology. 
They are often depicted as benevolent celestial beings who act as intermediaries between heaven and earth, or as guardian spirits, or a guiding influence. The term angel has also been expanded to various notions of spirits found in many other religions as well. Other roles of angels include protecting and guiding human beings and carrying out God's tasks. In art, angels are often depicted with bird-like wings on their back, a halo, robes, and various forms of glowing light as well. The celestial order of the universe, the readers of the scrolls, the seal breakers, bringers of destruction. Revelation is plagued with stories about these types of angels. Uh, most of them appear as a lion or a bull or some kind of a strange giant bird with a horse's body and a multitude of wings. And there are some that depict them as half man, half animal with uh, two or more wings and uh, extremely muscular in, in their appearance. It moves us on to the next one. Uh, of course, when you have angels, you have to have demons. A demon is a paranormal, often malevolent being prevalent in religion, occultism, literature, fiction, and folklore. The original Greek word, Greek word daemon, does not carry the negative con connotation initially understood by implementation of the koan, well, ancient Greek, I should say, and later scribed to any cognate word sharing the same root. In ancient Near Eastern religions, as well as in the Arabic traditions, including ancient and medieval Christian demonology, a demon is considered to be an unclean spirit, sometimes a fallen angel, a non-human spirit, or a spirit of unknown origin, which may cause demonic possession, thus calling for an exorcism. In Western occultism and Renaissance magic, which grew out of Greek Roman magic or Greco Roman magic. Jewish demonology and Christian tradition tells us a demon is a spiritual entity that may be conjured and controlled if you know its name. However, control is highly unlikely with these beasts. If you remember the movie Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, which was based on a book, the books, by the way, are way better than the movies. If you remember the Furies, which are demon-like or gargoyle-like in, in their appearance. The three goddesses of vengeance, Tisiphone, which is the avenger of murder, Megara, which is the avenger of jealousy, and Electo, which is constant anger. They were also called the daughters of the night, but were actually the daughters of Uranus and Gaia. Another name for them is the Irianus. Without mercy, the Furies would punish all crime, including the breaking of rules considering all aspects of society. They would strike the offenders with madness, never stopped following the criminals. The worst of all crimes was murder in that time. The Furies would enjoy punishing this kind of crime. Which brings me to Gargoyles. Gargoyles, of course, a wonderful movie was made in the 1970s. Uh, with uh, gargoyles as the um, both the protagonist and the antagonist, uh, an entire horde, a nest of gargoyles living in a cave, 
uh, encountered a family traveling west, and uh, they learned from each other. They're scary as hell, but they learned from each other. And, of course, the animated show Gargoyles, which was dominating the television airwaves in the 1990s and early 2000s. According to myths and legends, real gargoyle creatures were very majestic and mysterious animals. They were stone statues during the day and magically turned into flesh and blood creatures during the night. The stone slumber was a way for them to rejuvenate themselves and even heal wounds accumulated from the previous night. The Jersey Devil. I'm not talking about Snooky from the uh, Jersey Shore TV show. Of, of course, that joke may fall on deaf ears of uh, today's generation, for only the millennials and Gen Xers will know what the hell I'm talking about. The Jersey Devil, not Snooky, rather, it's a flying bipedal horse creature, which is said to haunt the southern area of the Garden State, New Jersey. Tales of it have been passed along since the 1700s, when a demon child was said to have been born of Mother Leeds. There was a president who also encountered the Jersey Devil. She already had Mother Leeds, that is, had 12 children, and said that if she had a 13th, it would be from the devil. Sure enough, one dark and stormy night, she popped out her 13th child, and it transformed into a creature with hooves, a horse's head, bat wings, and a forked tail. 300 years later, and it's still being spotted pretty regularly as recently as September of 2012. In 1960, a $10,000 reward was offered for its capture, but its greatest fame was in 1909 when thousands of people claimed to have seen the cryptid over the course of a week. Another $10,000 reward was offered at this point causing a hoax entry made by sticking wings on a kangaroo. Where in the world did they find a freaking kangaroo in Jersey? That's what I'd like to know. Now moving along to very not so well-known winged bipedal creatures. Bipedal means walking upright on hind legs. The Papobawa which is bat wing and Swahili. Bat-like shape-shifting creature with one eye and a very large penis. Look out. Is said to stalk the men, oh boy, look out, and women of Zanzibar, Africa. It can appear as human or as an animal. The creature enters houses at night and sodomizes men, women, and children. Before leaving, it tells its victims to tell everyone in the village of its attack or risk it coming back for more. And now a word from our sponsor. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available. And last spring, my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parks, 
Paranormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Now that we're back from our commercial, I was discussing Popobawa from Swahili, the language, of course. Near Zanzibar, this creature with one eye and an extremely large penis. I know, the large penis gets me too. But it doesn't get me, if you know what I mean. Also, Popobawa is the name of an evil spirit which is believed by residents to have first appeared on the Tanzanian island of Pemba. In 1995, it was the focus of a major outbreak of mass hysteria and panic, which spread from Pemba to the main island of the Zanzibar archipelago and across to Deir es Salaam and other urban centers on the East African coast. That brings us to Ahul. The Ahul is a flying cryptid, supposedly a giant bat or, by other accounts, a living pterosaur or flying primate. Such a creature is not known to science, and there is no objective evidence that it exists as claimed. However, it is said to live in the deepest rainforests of Java, and it is described as having large dark eyes, large claws on its forearms, approximately the size of an infant, and a body covered in gray fur. Possibly the most intriguing and astounding feature is that it is said to have a wingspan of 10 feet. This is almost twice as long as the largest known bat in the world, the common flying fox. Bat Squatch. It's another flying cryptid. Yes, Bat Squatch. Never heard of this one till today. Well, actually, until I started putting this together and did this presentation. Nonetheless, this is was allegedly sighted near Mount St. Helens. It resembles a flying primate, similar to the Ahul and the Orangbati of Southeast Asia. Although it was sighted only once for a brief moment. Once, mind you, and it made my list. The witnesses allegedly took several pictures of the creature. However, these pictures have not been properly analyzed and thus cannot prove the creature's existence. This one, this is so original. Owl Man. The Owl Man, sometimes referred to as the Cornish Owl Man, or the Owl Man of Manan, is a purported cryptid that was supposedly sighted around mid-1976 in the village of Manan, Cornwall. Yeah, I've never heard of Owlman. Mothman's a little more believable. The Owlman is sometimes compared to America's Mothman. There we go, ding, 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 in cryptozoological encounters and literature. The Monan Church is built in the middle of a prehistoric earthwork. It's suggested that the church may be built on a ley line, which is a straight line that passes through and links several ancient sites, and speculated that the appearance of the Owlman may be a manifestation of Earth energy in this place. And here's the money shot, Mothman. This one's my boy. I do the Mothman Festival almost every year as a guest speaker. That's where I sell my books, T-shirts I design, artwork that I do. Uh, now I've got nine-inch tall Sasquatch silhouettes on a pedestal that I'm selling. Uh, check out my... Uh, webpage for that link if you uh, want to know how to order one of those or just email me and I can send the link your way. Mothman is a winged creature reportedly seen in the Point Pleasant area of West Virginia. 
from the 15th of November 1966 to the 15th of December 1967. The first newspaper report was published in the Point Pleasant Register, dated 16 November 1966, titled, Couples See Man-Sized Bird, Creature, Something. Mothman was introduced to a wider audience by Gray Barker in 1970, later popularized by John Keel in his 1975 book, The Mothman Prophecies, claiming that Mothman was related to a wide array of supernatural events in the area and that the collapse of the Silver Bridge. The 2002 film, The Mothman Prophecy, starring Richard Gere, was loosely based on Keel's book. On December 15, 1967, the Silver Bridge collapsed while it was full of rush hour traffic, resulting in the deaths of 46 people. Two of the victims were never found. That's probably because of the catfish that are in the river that are the size of Volkswagen beetles. Anyway, investigations of the wreckage pointed to the cause of the collapse being the failure of a single eye bar in a suspension chain due to a small defect that was no more than 2.5 millimeters deep in the flaw. Analysis showed that the bridge was carrying much heavier loads than it had originally been designed for. It was poorly maintained. The collapsed bridge was replaced by the Silver Memorial Bridge, which was completed in 1969. After the catastrophe of the bridge collapse, the UFO sightings that were dominating the skies over Point Pleasant and Gallipolis, Ohio, suddenly stopped. The Men in Black, MIB, vanished and stopped harassing people, and the Mothman moved on. There have even been an array of Mothman's Mothman-type sightings in Nelsonville, Ohio, before the collapse of a train tunnel. Uh, also, over New York City, a week leading up to the 9-11 attacks. And a month leading up to the Chernobyl catastrophe in Russia. As well as the nuclear power plant explosion catastrophe in Japan. Several sightings of this type of creature have always been attached to some major catastrophe or an event that leads to uh, mass casualties. Winged cryptids and entertainment. Of course, there is a market for this. Uh, the entertainment value, that being new discoveries. This is something I hold dear to and preach constantly. Each year, scientists record another 18,000 new species of plants and animals. In recent years, they've added about 70 new reptiles and 400 new fish annually to the world's databases of species. Even more discoveries of plants and invertebrates have come forward. Biologists every year document about 2,000 new species of flowering plants and 13,500 new invertebrates. Now, this is your fun factoid. To date, we have explored less than 5% of our oceans. 5%. We've lived on this planet for millennia, and we've only thoroughly explored 5% of a planet that is over 72% water. The ocean is the lifeblood of this planet, covering more than 70% of the planet's surface, driving weather, regulating temperatures, and ultimately supporting all living organisms. Throughout history, the ocean has been a vital source of sustenance, transport, commerce, growth, and inspiration. 
Yet for all our reliance on the ocean, 95% of this realm remains unexplored and what is inside has remained unseen by human eyes. According to National Geographic, 86% of the world's species are still unknown. 86%! We are within reach of finding all of the remaining species. Are we way off? According to the experts and my research, the answer is we are that far off from thoroughly mapping and understanding the planet in which we inhabit with these creatures. When did we find these? The discoveries of the Western world. Let's start with gorillas. They were discovered in 1847 by the Western world, thought to be a creature of myth and legend. The Western gorilla was discovered by the American and missionary Thomas Stoughton Savage and a naturalist, Jeffrey Wyman. That was in 1847. That was just a short while before the Civil War. And then we've got the coelacanth. Coelacanths were thought to have gone extinct millions of years ago in the late Crustaceous period, but they were rediscovered in 1938 off the coast of South Africa. And these are beast fish. These are like dinosaur monster-looking fish. They're not attractive at all. You wouldn't want these in an aquarium. Then you've got the panda. In 1869, a French missionary, Armand Pierre David, obtained a specimen of a giant panda from Sichuan. And they were thought to be creatures of myth. No one believed these things truly existed in the Western world until they freaking found it and saw it for themselves. Then we got a giant squid, thought to be a thing of myth, thought to be a part of deep sea tales and legends of pirates and merchants. It was photographed for the first time in 2004 and captured on video for the first time in 2006. And it's bigger than six freaking Greyhound buses. It's a giant squid. A monster squid. The things of legend and lore often used in movies like Sinbad or Pirates of the Caribbean even. Um, monster squid. And, you know, we, we have in restaurants where we're eating baby squid or we're eating fried octopus. And I have a soft spot for octopi. They're an amazing creature, uh, an amazing specimen. The DNA within these creatures doesn't match any known DNA strand or chromosome composite that we've yet to discover on this planet. Their DNA composite is thought to be something of alien origin. And they swim in our oceans. And they get bigger and bigger the deeper you go. And we'll never in my lifetime reach the depths of the ocean required to see much bigger beasts. But due to climate change... And the water rising because of the melting of the polar ice caps and the permafrost being gone. We're seeing and witnessing a lot more of these creatures coming up to the surface because the waters are getting colder. Where in, say, the Midwest, it's experiencing snow in mid-May. Are we going to have a snowstorm in July? And these are things that are cyclical and they rely on natural habitat and when things speed up 
like with what we're doing on our own planet, natural occurrences and weather changes and weather patterns speed up drastically. And that throws the entire system off whack. Unparalleled insider access. Get it all. Introducing the Sirius XM Platinum VIP plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual Sirius XM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer detail supply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. Loch Ness Monster found as sonar image shows massive underwater creature. The Plesiosaurus has been unusually social over the summer months with multiple sightings recorded but the latest high-tech image could be the clearest proof yet of her existence. The Loch Ness Monster may have been captured on high-tech equipment and her mystical home amid a flurry of sightings of the legendary beast. A visitor to the Highlands claims to have caught Nessie swimming deep in the murky waters. The third time the prehistoric resident has been caught this summer. The spotter named by the official Loch Ness Monster sightings register as Brandon Scanalon claims to have recorded a sound image of a creature rumored to be between 3 to 4 meters, around 9 to 13 feet long below the waves. Mr. Scanalon was traveling on the Nessie Hunter vessel used to ferry passengers on journeys around the lock. It comes after a number of reported sightings in July and August, purported to be the alleged Plesiosaurus. According to the register, during the latest sighting on August 26, Benjamin Scanalon was on a holiday with his family and took a trip on the Nessie Hunter of Loch Ness Cruises. He spotted something on the sonar on the boat and caught the image. Captain Mike of the boat estimated that to be 3 to 4 meters in length at a depth of about 20 meters, while the boat was in water about 40 meters deep. Plesiosaurus typically grew to a length of around 11 feet, according to fossil records, placing its size right in the middle of the captain's estimate. Recent sightings have included a Mr. Vicock claiming to have seen an unidentified creature rise two feet from the water before descending back into the peaty depths while on holiday last month. In another incident, a father and daughter claimed to have seen Nessie moving through the water while hiking nearby. The register maintained by a team of volunteers categorizes sightings of the Plesiosaurus back to the earliest description in the 6th century when it was recorded and reportedly halted in its tracks by St. Columbia. Plesiosaurus typically grew to a length of around 11 feet according to fossil records, placing its size in the middle of Vicox estimates as well. Thousands of sightings with a range of validity have been recorded, including nine in 2021. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. 
And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. That's all I got for you this week. This is Neil. This has been another spectacular episode of Paranormally Speaking. Join me next week for more of the strange, the unusual, and the enlightening. I'll leave you with this. Continue to keep your eyes on the sky. Don't ignore that bump you hear in the night. Watch for shadows in the wilderness. And when you see a huge mass of something in a body of water, watch it, study it, photograph it, record it. You really don't know what you're seeing until it reveals itself. And when it comes to human nature, we're the worst beast of them all. We really need to work on being nicer to each other. You'd think that a global pandemic that the earlier part of 2020 left us confined to our homes for a few months would have made us nicer and caused us to play a bit kinder with each other. Alas, that's not the case. And there's so many of us that really need to work on human interaction and just being a kind human being. There's so many layers in this onion, and it's not all about one issue or two issues. It's about everything. It's about all of us, not about one individual person. We all matter. This is Neil Parks, signing off. Sometimes I feel like my only friend